Hey everyone, and welcome back to today's edition of Fresh New Shorts, a collection of short stories written and read by the author. This series is following the collection of stories found in the book A Physicist's Guide to Love, Another Natural Phenomena, by John Blackmore. This week's episode features the short story that won the Writers' Union of Canada Short Fiction Competition. Like I Was Fire is about a young firefighter and his conflicted mentor, and the lengths he goes to earn his love. Like I Was Fire Arthur's wife told me she carried lemon rind with her on her wedding day, rubbing the peel between her fingers to halo the scent of lemon oil around her as if she was merry. She lives alone now near the battery. I'm one of the few that still talks to her. Even with everything fallen apart, she said furniture polish or yellow lifesavers still brought back those days. I know what she means. The smell of cuticura powder brings memories of my real mother back to me. She must have used it or used it on me before she moved on. I've opened bottles in shopper's drug marts to sniff the fresh and medicated smell, something like green apples and Beeman's gum, to bring her back. Of course, now all I can smell is fire, so it'll be hard to hold memories from here on. Fire is many smells. Most are lucky enough to only know fireplaces and campfires. I know car accidents with burning rubber and brake fluid, the sweet bite of gasoline. House fires with upholstery and carpet of flame, the black puddings of smoke from glues and vinyls. But now my smell has shrunk to one odor, the smell of hair on fire. It's the sickly sweet and stomach sour smell that blows round Carnell's funeral home when they're sending dead to the cinerator. It triggers memories of Gowan, calling him to tear loose inside my head. Most people talk about Arthur, or Lawrence, rather than Gowan. Most know those two as heroes, flawed, mind you, but still larger than life. People forget that Gowan was too. I was there the night he jumped out a bay window near Rollins Cross with an infant wrapped inside his coat. I saw him carrying Lawrence over his shoulder, Lawrence, all six feet four of him, when Driscoll's warehouses went up that January, icicles forming and melting, dripping and freezing, like seasons fast-forwarding past. But Gowan's faults cast bigger shadows. With his wife, his boys, those he chose to love and hate, but any of us who had him as a teacher learned most of what there was about firefighting from Gowan. Many of us are alive because of his teaching. Because of him, deaths passed me by twice. The third time, it lingered long enough to steal my sense of smell. Gowan saved me. He's loved me. He's marked me. I never know the time because of him. I don't look at watches anymore. I was Gowan's pupil, one of the dozen that graduated from Arthur's first firefighter apprentice program. 
Gowan started the three-month session with 13 of us, glorying in the unlucky number. A funny thing for a fireman or a fisherman, flaunting superstition like that. Who's going to be the Judas, boys? Gowan bellowed. His voice wrinkled and thick-hided like a walrus. He matched it in looks. Gowan was a gnarled stump of a man. His glowing ember hair was cropped close like bristles, his beard too. He looked like a red-headed Saint Nick from The Night Before Christmas, one of the books the Christian brothers read before Midnight Mass to make us feel like real kids. Gowan strutted around the unlucky dozen of us. He'd light matches, let them burn down, and then blow them out, sniffing the sweet smoke from the blackened ends. Who's going to be the effin' Judas? Not me, sir, we brayed like altar boys. Some of us were afraid of fire. Some of us were cocky. For Gowan, fire was his father and mother, his only begotten son, his lover, his god. He talked about it with the ferocity of a Pentecostal going on about Jesus. By the end of our 90 days, we were tougher, stronger, and smarter. We'd had Gowan's lessons beaten into our bodies, burnt into our heads, written in ash on our skins. It was near the end of those lessons that I smelled burning hair for the first time. Gowan roused us from our beds in the middle of the night, swearing like a blackguard. The thirteen of us in t-shirts and boxers, shivering as clammy April winds curdled the air. He led us to the schoolhouse, the brick and metal training building we burned every other day. Lawrence, tall, sleek, and bald, sheathed in his shiny wet black long coat, was watching over Gowan to make sure he didn't kill any of us. Put these on, Gowan barked, handing out cloth blindfolds. Fire, he crackled, and then he paused. Fire, he repeated, letting the word melt from his tongue. Does not fight fair, because it doesn't have to. What consumes everything, laddies? Fire, we yelled. Can leap rivers? Fire. Turn something to nothing, turn darkness to light? Fire. Yes, me boys, fire. And it cares not a whit for you, because you are like an ant unto it. Tonight, you will crawl blind through the schoolhouse searching for a child. You'll remember this night. Sometime in your career, fire will demand its sacrifice. Perhaps your eyes, maybe an arm, most assuredly a lung. But blind or crippled or maimed, you will have to crawl on. There's always someone to save. But how will you find them? Fear trickled down my back. How? he yelled. None of us knew the answer. No eyes crawling on your hands and knees. We heard a match scrape and a sudden whoosh. Then we smelt it, the sickening protein burn. It was our first time. Head for the burning hair, boys.
My girl Patty, Gowan said. I trailed him into the beauty parlor. It was deep into my rookie year. I had graduated his anointed favorite. We were inseparable. Others may have talked, but I didn't care. Never in my life had someone spent time thinking about me, caring for me. People had fed and clothed me, but that was duty. With Gowan, it was far more. Patty had her back to us, but we knew her because she had the biggest hair on the Avalon. Three women sat under large plastic dome dryers, their painted red nails holding the National Enquirer. The fausty smell of permanent solution curled the hairs on my skin. Patty turned round from the woman she was dying. When's that honey Lawrence coming back for his shave? Patty asked, slurring it into a dirty word. No idea, my love, Gowan said. You got my bags of hair? Patty pointed to the porch with her dye-stained glove. Gowan motioned for me to pick them up. So this is your boy, Patty said, the way she smiled at me. Gowan ignored it. Still have the smoke detector in your bedroom? It was always going off, Ducky, Patty said. I had to put in sprinklers instead to cool things down. Gowan snorted. He was serious about fire prevention. I haven't seen your lovely wife around here for weeks. She's sick, Patty asked. But there's nothing innocent in the question. She's busy, Gowan said. She's still the clumsy type, always taking a fall, knocking into doors. Come on, he said to me. I had full garbage bags in each hand. We'll take our hair and go. Getting in our truck, he told me to note the length of hose required on this street. Every stop was a chance to plan for the inevitable blaze. That night, I stood next to him in the schoolhouse, splaying my flashlight on Gawain's newest batch of frightened cubs. They crawled the floor, their bodies streaked with soot, sniffing their way. Gawain, in the midst of the flames and smoke, shouting at them like a demon. People knew Lawrence for wearing black, mostly sleek and shining leather. Gowan dressed in wools to hold heat in. He was known for the vest he wore over his navy uniform. Ask anyone, they remember it. It was a tartan vest, a blend of colors of Archbishop Fleming's old Newfoundland flag, green with lines of white and pink. He had seven watches pinned up and down each side, all melted. He'd found them in blazes, their faces scarred and grafted by fire. Gowan said his time would be up, literally, when he had a watch burnt to each hour. He fingered the blackened faces as we walked around the Fahey's duplex in Rabbit Town. Mr. and Mrs. Fahey were ancient. I swear, they sailed the boat with Cabot. They shambled about their apartment in a haze of urine and mumbles. Cats ranged the counters. A bulldog named Guinness, with hugely distended balls and a roomy eye, growled at me. Guinness was a farter. I don't understand how any creature could generate and release so much gas. Gowan didn't seem to notice. I thought of getting out my air filter. 
Mr. Fahey dropped a chunk of bologna on the floor for the dog. Tea and a lemon cream, Mrs. Fahey offered. You take carnation milk now, don't you? Cat hair nested in the mugs. I waved her off, but Gowan graciously accepted on our behalf. He was on his knees, pulling up rugs to inspect wiring. Half the cords were buried under carpets. Old newspapers stored on the rads, ashtrays next to the bed. Mr. Fahey picked up his smokes, and I nearly jumped to stop him from lighting a match. I saw the whole gas-heavy place going up in a burst of blue flame. Found faulty wiring here six months ago, Mrs. Fahey, Gowan said, following a cord along the wall. She nodded, doddering around with the kettle, spilling water from its spout. A cat yelped as a spatter scalded it. You're a good man, Gowan, looking out for the dregs like us. My God, sure, you're the salt, the salt, Mrs. Fahey. Mr. Fahey puffed his rolly. The dog broke wind. We drank tea and brushed hair from the biscuits. Mrs. Fahey wrapped four cookies in a doily for us as we went on to Mrs. Solo, who was living on the second floor. Gowan, my God, I said in the stairwell. What? The smell. You noticed? My God, sure, the dead in Topsail Cemetery can smell that. It's what my home smelt like, whippersnap. So be careful. Reminds me of my own ma. It's the last safe smell I knew, he said. Of course it wasn't. But it was the last smell before I found out I was all alone. Sirens keened like banshees. I jumped off the truck with Gowan and grabbed the bumper hose. God. I stared at the storefront windows, a small crack leaking a tail of smoke. Jesus, God. Gowan had run up behind me. I heard him whistle. We faced Tuma's Jewelers, specialists in watches and fine timepieces. I'll lead us in. It's my turn to go first, I said. He kept staring at the sign. Specialists in watches. He didn't say anything, but pulled me to run with him towards the door. A marquee hung over the front step, and he grabbed me back from standing under it. One of his rules. He took off his glove and held out his bare palm. He felt the heat. Little smoke. No flames. It's a friggin' basement fire, he said. But then, in crazy slow motion, a man in a headlight-streaked satin dressing gown ran from round the building. We knew what was about then. We knew these pleas. He's in the apartment. My son don't talk or walk. He's paralyzed with fear. He pointed to the second floor. I thought I could hear all of Gowan's dead watches, all in their off hours, all out of time, ticking in a wicked syncopation. Get the line, he said. The hose swelled with life and I trailed him in. Water jolting down the hall, Gowan bounding the steps, looking back to me, stopping, because he felt it. And then, uncontainable fire burst out every ceiling duct and floor vent. I remember being on my back, 
Lawrence holding the mask on my face. I was coughing black sludge up, my nose running out in a black river. Fire was vaulting between buildings like a circus artist, swinging on wires connected to stars. The smell of burning hair was all over me. I looked back to Tuma's, watching flames leap from the windows. For all the world, like the fire was shouting at us. Arthur stood in the middle of the street, shouting back, swinging his fist. But it didn't matter. Shouting never mattered. So, so the bastard wanted cremation. I was one of his pallbearers. Our club, Paddy's, the one with the round pool table, closed down except for us. We were drinking, not talking. Gordy, one of Gowan's last crop of probies, cornered me. I was in no mood. Gordy asked me to show him the arm. What arm? I asked. I was feeling like drinking and not talking. The arm Gowan gave you. I was half gone and knew even then my nose was busted for good, no matter, the doctor said. Oh, give it time. I knew I would never make out another smell. Not perfume. Not the Fahis. Not my mother's powder. I hauled my sleeve and lay my arm down on the bar, palm up. There, I said, Gowan's arm. The scar bubbled up permanently from the underside of my forearm, looking like one of Gowan's melted watches. I brought it up to my nose and sniffed it. I imagined I could still smell burning skin. On the last night of our ninety days, the night we were all ready to celebrate, Gowan called us back to the schoolhouse. We see who's the Judas tonight. He gave us each a long white candle. He lit them. People think fire is flames, heat, smoke. He spit on those notions. Fire is fear, the sulfurous beast that roams in here. You don't beat that with water. He paused scanning the thirteen of us. He shook his head heavily. I love you like you're my sons. But you have to know you can take the fear. You have to know the feller next to you can too. That you've got something more than other boys. So, one of you's got to be the Judas. He had us roll up our sleeves. On his word, we were to lower our forearms to hover three inches above the candle flame. We had to keep our arm there until one of us gave. Billy Connolly, a big ox of a man, was the surprise. He was screaming and throwing the candle after maybe two seconds. But that's a long time when you're burning. The rest dropped their candles once Billy gave. Except me. I stared into Gowan's blue eyes, my skin blistering up to this scar I'll always have. He watched me, his nose twitching with the smell of my flesh. I could see it, plain as day in his watering eyes. He was scared of me. He loved me, just like I was fire itself.
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, rate us five stars wherever your podcasts are available and subscribe for more. You can find the ebook, A Physicist Guide to Love, on Amazon. We hope to have you back here again.